begin to make our way to our seats. Let's open up in prayer again, just asking for God's blessing as I preach the scripture. So let's get to our seats as I'm going to pray here. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, thank you for all that you're doing in and through us here. God, we are simply your servants. We are your vessels. We are your instruments to play according to your own desire And we pray to God that you will continue to make a blessed sound in our lives and through us as a church. Lord, we want to see this community rocked for you. We want to see young men and women come to know Jesus. We want to see homes healed, God. We want to see children rise up as missionaries and pastors and business leaders and and solid moms and dads. And God, we we pray, God, that you would be... um, continually at work among us. May we do nothing to quench your lead, O oh God. And so, Lord, even now as we talk more about living life in community, Lord, I pray that you would give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see what you have for us. Give us understanding, God. Continue to shatter, God, um, wrong perceptions we might have of the church. God, we pray you would soften hard hearts as we do so. And, Lord, I pray that as a result of this message, that we would have a greater affection and love for the bride of Jesus, this blessed church. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, just a few weeks ago, my daughter um, had, a, had a quiz in her, in her school. Uh, my wife homeschools our kids, so she, her mom's teacher and principal. Um, she makes her lunch and does everything for them, pretty much. But as part of their quiz, they had, my, my daughter was learning about nouns. And she learned that nouns are person, place, or thing. And then there was this question, and she had to say what the word in bold was, a person, place, or thing. And the word was church. And it came in the sentence, says, the party will be in the fellowship hall at the church. And so she had to determine whether church was a person, place, or thing. And she circled person. And according to the quiz... My wife was supposed to have marked that answer wrong because according to the quiz, the church is a place. And so my wife, just briefly, because she knew what my daughter was thinking, said, Keziah, I'm supposed to write that answer wrong. And Keziah is like, but they're wrong. The church is the people and not a place. And it was one of those moments where like, yeah, that's good. That's good. Jesus didn't die to purchase a building. He came to purchase a people. We are the church family. And I love Chris's correction there. That was good. We are the church. You are not in church right now. You are not at church right now. Church is not an event. It's not a location. It is not a day of the week. Church is the people of God. The Bible says that Jesus came and died to purchase 
the church. He didn't die for a building. He died for you and for me. And this is so central to what the Bible's about, and it's so amazing to me, though, that so often we misunderstand that. We think we're going to church on Sunday morning or church happens on Sundays, and it's, just, it's wrong. And the truth of the matter is, if we can get out of that mindset and remember that the church is the people, we know that we're gathering with our church family in our real community groups on Wednesday night or on Thursday night or when they're over their, your house for coffee on a Saturday morning. Or when you're at the theater with some friends from the church and you're loving one one another and you're there to build each other up, you are gathering as the church in this location. You're you're getting together, walking together, living life together as a community. We are the church. Now, the church is not simply a gathering of Christians, though. It's those who are gathering a part of a local church, a local body, where there is a leadership in place, where the Lord's Supper is celebrated, where baptism takes place and the scriptures are preached and discipline is had among us. That's where a viable church is. And we got to understand that the church is not a building, but it is the people of God. In our day and age, the church can have a really bad um, reputation. There have been many harms done in the past in the name of the church. But at the end of the day, we know that the church is far greater than many of the perceptions people have of it. Some people have been soured because of their experiences in a church and with a church family. Some people are bitter because they've been hurt by the church. And some of you might say, that's where I'm at, or that's where I once was, or that's where a friend of mine is. What we want you to see is the church is filled with broken people. We are people who will hurt each other. People will offend you. People will hurt your feelings. But that's the sorrows of the church on the one hand never outweigh the beauties of the church on the other hand. You experience love like no other within the church. You will be encouraged like you've never been encouraged before as part of the church. You'll be reminded of God's goodness within the church family. You'll be inspired to love Jesus more because of the church. You will have people journeying with you in the church. And so the church is filled with people who are broken like you and me. But that's part of what we got to do in terms of living life together. Offer forgiveness, live life together, and spur each other on to loving Jesus more. Jesus has saved us from sin to make us a part of his family, and being family takes effort. It's hard work. And so today we're going to turn our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, looking at verses 24 and 25. And I want you to see what the church is meant to be. This is part two from our message last week. I'll give you a quick overview as you turn your Bibles there, and there's a a Bible in the pew in front of you. We'd love for you to have that. If you don't own a Bible, it's yours. We're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. And if you have a pew Bible, and anybody's turned there already, can you tell me what page we're on, Hebrews 10, verse 24? 1,001. Thank you. We saw as a book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 19 last week, how Jesus is our great priest, He's one who entered into God's temple, so to speak, and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. See, the Bible says without shedding of blood, we cannot be forgiven for the rebellion in our hearts, the way we've turned against God. Blood needs to be spilt. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, a sacrificial lamb was placed on an altar and slaughtered, and the lamb's blood was spilt for the people. 
But the truth is, people had to do that. The priests had to do that every single year because the blood of the lamb wasn't sufficient to make people clean forever. And that's why Jesus came, and he's called the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the perfect lamb, no spot, no blemish in his character, truly God, who went on that cross, and his body was broken, and his blood was spilled. He was the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, and he died once for all time. So when you put your faith in Jesus, you are forgiven. You are forgiven from all the garbage in your life, past, present, and future. This is what Jesus has done for you to give you life. And so the writer to Hebrews is just bragging about God and what Jesus has done. And he says, because of what Jesus has done now, let's be confident in our faith in verse 22. In verse 23, he says, let's hold fast to this hope we have. And then in verse 24 and 25, what we're looking at today, he gives them one more command in light of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus has saved you and brought you into his family and has declared that you are forgiven, verse 24, he says, now because of that, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm going to read that one more time. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of Jesus drawing near. This is the heart of living life in community, of being part of God's family. It takes work. Life in community takes effort. He says here, let us consider how to stir up one another. The word stir up in some Bible translations says spur one another. Is that picture of somebody on a horse with a spur on their heel, and they kick the horse, and they spur the horse on to race forward. Here, this translation says, stir up one another. See, the, the, the Greek word has this idea of irritate or provoke somebody. You know what it means to stir someone up, to stir the pot, so to speak, to get someone fired up and angry. Some of you know people well enough, you know what button to push to get them ticked off. Now, if you took that same understanding, that, that same effort we take to upset people sometimes, and instead of stirring them up to anger, we stir them up toward love, think of how powerful that could be. There are people in your life you know so well. It could be a close friend. It could be somebody in your real community group. It could be a spouse or a child. You know them so well that you can push the right buttons, but imagine pushing the buttons that point them to Jesus. Stirring them up in a good way. Because to stir somebody up, it takes effort. Can you say effort? It takes intentionality. It takes work. My kids like my pancakes. They're not quite as good as my father-in-law's pancakes. They brag about those all the time. But they like my pancakes. And you make pancakes, you know that if you've got a, 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 a cup, a measuring cup or a bowl, wherever you mix it in, if you don't, if you don't get to the bottom... The powder is going to remain there. And if you try to pour that onto the pan, it's going to be all powdery. It's, going to, it's not going to taste the same. So you've got to work hard to get into the bottom of that, that bowl and stir things up well so it intermingles together. You've got to do it in order to make good kind of pancakes that kids brag about, they talk about. And, and the same is true 
in the Christian life, in the church, is being a part of a family. See, when we're told to stir up each other, we're told to, to get to the bottom of our lives and to, to get in there and say, all right, brother, all right, sister, I want to encourage you. And I want you to mix with one another. I want you to be a part of our family. And when we as the church are digging in and, and working hard at loving each other and stirring each other up, then that's something to talk about. People will see the church and say, man, that church loves each other. See how that church walks together and lives life together. Because we're stirring each other up like a good bowl of pancakes. Living life in community takes effort, though. you, you got to work hard at it. And so the effort it takes points us to something else. It takes effort to do what? To stir each other up, but to what purpose? And here the writer to Hebrews tells us, because of Jesus, let's work hard. Let's take the effort to put God's love on display among each other. He said, let's stir up one another toward love and good deeds, good works. Let's take that first idea. Let's stir up each other toward love. See, a good friend, if we're we're living as a church, the greatest thing you could do is stir up your brother or sister and point them, first of all, to the love of God. Remind them of God's love for them. You see, 1 John 4 says in verses 9 and 10, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. God's love was made manifest. That God sent his only son into the world, that's Jesus, so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is a big word. And simply what it means is satisfaction. A satisfaction to God in particular. You see, the Bible says because of our sin and rebellion against God, God's wrath is justly directed toward us. God hates sin and he has to punish it And when we walk apart from God, we are under God's wrath. But when Jesus died on the cross, he satisfied that that wrath, and God's wrath was poured on Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was alone. The wrath of the Father was poured on him, and Jesus suffered what you and I deserved. All of that is a display of God's unfailing love. Had he not done that, you would be separated from him for eternity. And so we stir one another to love. We're stirring them first to see God's love at the cross of Jesus and live life from that perspective. But stirring each other up toward love, putting God's love on display, also means teaching each other how to love when we're wronged. You see, that someone's going to offend you as part of the church. Someone's going to let you down. Someone's going to not give you that phone call you wanted. Some are going to be difficult. And when we're choosing to love, we're saying, you know what? I know I'm hurt right now, but because I love, I'm going to talk to that individual, and we're going to work this thing out. And when a brother or sister comes to you and says, man, I'm really disappointed in this, this, or that, you tell them, well, you need to go back to that brother or go back to that sister out of love and talk with them. We're stirring each other up toward love here. Love for God and love for one another because where there is friction, there becomes disunity if we don't deal with it. And so the, the writer to the Hebrew is saying, if we're going to be the church, let's stir each other up to love 
for God, love when you're wrong, and also teach each other to love one another proactively. That means not waiting around for someone to come to you, but choosing to go to somebody else. That means taking the focus off of yourself and looking for others and saying, you know what, I haven't seen this brother, I haven't seen this sister, or that person looks down today, I want to go talk to them. And you can love them by praying for them. You can love by communicating that you're thinking about them. You can love by giving a gift to them. Some people just say, you know what, they love to receive gifts, and a thoughtful gift could go a long way. Maybe you love by just spending time with them, saying, you know what, I see you're down, let's go out for a cup of coffee. Maybe you love by just encouraging them, saying, hey, I know you're down, but you need to know, man, you're so important. I'm so grateful you're in my life for these reasons. We can love each other by serving each other. Man, I know you're having a hard time. I'm going to go home and help clean that room of yours. Because I know you were telling me how, dis- how discouraged you are by it. Or I'm going to help serve you in this other area. Or maybe simply by coming along a brother, man, and just putting your arm around that brother and say, man, I appreciate you, bro. Or for a sister to give another sister an embrace. Say, hey, I love you, sister. See, as the church, we're called to stir up one another, take the effort to put God's love on display, love for God, love when wrong, and proactively love for one another. This is what it means to be the church. And Jesus purchased you and me when we put our faith in him. He purchased us for the purpose of loving one another by pointing them to him and to each other. This is how we live life in community. This is how we learn to walk with one another. And so many people have been soured and embittered to the church because they haven't seen that, or maybe they haven't chosen to be a part of it in that way. And we're saying, hey, family, let's make a choice today to not just think about ourselves, but think about one another. Because just as much as you're hurting, there's a brother or sister hurting just as bad. Just as much as you're having a great time, you have to think, you know what, some others aren't. And yes, it's good to enjoy what God is doing, celebrate him, but don't assume everyone's celebrating today. It's living a life like that and being understanding. And this is why our real communities are so important. Because we get to live life more regularly and talk with each other and know what's going on in each other's hearts. And the writer of Hebrews says, let's stir one another up to put God's love on display. But secondly, he says, stir one another up to love and good works or good deeds. We were created to do good things. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works. Hear that. We were created to do good works. We weren't created by God. Uh, we weren't accepted by God because of our good works. We'll talk about this all day. You can never do anything to earn God's favor. No matter how many times you pray a day, no matter how good you are, God will never look at you and say, man, I'm really impressed with that person. You can't impress God. But God, because of Jesus, says, hey, I'm, I love you. I've brought you into my family. Now, because of that, I want you to do good works, not to earn my love. I've given it to you when you didn't deserve it. My love is on you, but I want you to live for me and to do good works. Good works are difficult sometimes, especially when the focus is on ourselves. Then doing something for others begins to fade away like your breath on a cold day. And so what the writer to Hebrews is reminding us is, when we need, to, we need to stir each other up because this ain't easy. It's not easy to love when you're hurt. It's not easy to do good works when you're thinking about yourself. But that's why we got to work together to do that and live 
not out of performance-based religion, but grace-based relationship. We've been saved by God to love Jesus. Some of you are here today, and you may not be a part of God's family just yet. Don't assume that because you're here means you are part of God's family. The family of God are those who've put their faith in Jesus, who believe he died for them, People who turn from their sins saying, Jesus, I'm living for you. I believe I am forgiven because of you. Now I want to honor you with my life. That's faith and repentance. And that's who the child, the family of God is. So if you haven't done that, you're not a part of God's family. But we invite you to surrender your life today to Jesus and know the joy of being a part of God's family, being a part of the body of Jesus. Jesus is the head. We are his servants. Each of us have different gifts. We get to serve God as one. The writer of Hebrews says, love takes effort. Good works take effort. But we've got to stir each other up. At at the Brook, the primary way we do that, as I've mentioned many times already today, is through our real community gatherings. Some of you are newer to the Brook. You've been around maybe only a few weeks or months. And you need to know that this is really what we want to emphasize. We want you to be a part of our real community gatherings. It is the fifth of our five core values. As you see on the screen there, white flag worship, Always on mission, thirsty prayers, embodying the scriptures, and real community. That's the acronym for the word water. But that that fifth component, real community, means that we are going to live life together and we're going to keep it real with one another through all of life's ups and downs. And it's central to what we're saying as our church because we believe that that's when we can really begin to know each other. We all know that this hour and a half we're together on Sunday mornings is very limited. We, We can all put on a smile for an hour and a half. I know how to smile for 90 minutes when my heart's a wreck. You know how to do that. We want you to know that you don't have to do that. That you can be real when you're gathered on Sundays, and you can be real when you're in community saying, hey, man, I'm going through a hard time right now. That's, that's what it means to be a part of the Brooks Real Communities. Some of you might not know, but that's how the Brooks started. We met in the homes of somebody here at the church, and it was about six of us to start out with. And we began to pray together and dream together and vision together, living life together. And we were on mission. We were looking for people, trying to invite people to what God was doing. We wanted people to know the hope of Jesus. And we saw God begin to grow this group according to his mercy and grace. But it all took place in the homes. In fact, this building was given to us in January of 2013. But we did not meet in here until May of that same year. We intentionally said we're not going to meet at the building because we want people to know that church is not a, but it is the people of God. So we met in homes. We, we met in communities saying, hey, we are the church. And it has continued on to this very day. In our real community groups, we, we, see, we define them as a family of missionary servants. We say we're a family because we want to share meals together. and We do that every month. We have a big potluck and we eat and have a great time. We see ourselves as missionaries where we got to serve our community, whether it be Steinmetz High School or here at Tuesday Night Basketball. We also, we say we're a family of missionary servants because we want to serve one another and be a part of what God is doing. And that's why we say the real communities are so important. This is what helps us grow as followers of Jesus. It helps us grow in what we call discipleship. And so if you're not a part of a real community, we plead with you, be a part of one. Connect with somebody. Talk to Jeremy. Talk to Abel. Talk to myself or others that you know are in a real community. Say, hey, I want to get involved. I want to experience this kind of true biblical community. 
What we want to see is more groups multiply. We want to see other neighborhoods hit. Maybe you don't live in Montclair, Portage, or Dunning. Maybe you're in Belmont, Cragen. Maybe you're in Elmwood Park. Wherever you're at, maybe you're in Austin or Galewood. We, we want to see this mission field extend. Because if we can meet new people and reach new people, God will grow his church. And ultimately, our vision at the brook is not to tear down this building and build a bigger one with more seating. Our, our vision is to send out 10, 15, 20 of you to start a new church in a new community one day. And that's what we're working toward. That, that's what we want to see. But we've all got to step outside of our comfort zone, and it begins in our real community <clears throat> gatherings, multiplying groups and ultimately multiplying churches. That, that's our heartbeat. And so when the writer of the Hebrews says, let's stir one another up toward love and good works, we take that command very seriously. And th- this command is actually the backdrop behind the danger and detriment of choosing to not be in community. He goes on to say in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, don't neglect getting together with your church family. And as we've seen, we're not just talking Sunday morning here because this is not just church. It's it's living life with your church family because we're all prone to drift. You've had your car when your wheel alignment's bad. You let go of the wheel, it goes to the right or to the left. And it could be off just one degree, but over time, it's slowly going to take you off course. And, and we're all prone to drift. And I think there's five reasons why we're prone to drift and not be in real community. And maybe you'll find yourself in one of these. The first way, the first reason why I see oftentimes people don't get involved in the church and with the church is because there's a personal offense. They've been offended by the church whether someone didn't pursue them or they have an unmet desire. And, and we just want you to know that yet yeah, you're going to be offended and we, we don't want to hurt one another. And we apologize when we do that. But don't let it keep you from being a part of what God has made, his church. A second reason people often get disconnected from the church is because of personal sin. There are things in our life they're very ashamed of. And they feel like they've come through these doors on a Sunday morning or they go to someone's house on on a Wednesday or Thursday or they get together with someone else, they're going to be condemned. And they have this this fear and this guilt and this shame. And if you only knew what others were going through, you would realize that that's just not a reason to stay away from the church family. We all have failure. We all have things that that we can look back and say, I wish that was not a part of my story. But we serve a God who went into the Holy of Holies, Jesus himself, who shed his own blood, a once-for-all sacrifice, so you can be covered by the blood of Jesus and forgiven. So don't let your own failure prevent you from being a part of God's church. He made the church to be uh, for imperfect people. So if you're perfect, you're not welcome here. You gotta leave. But if you're imperfect, you're at home. A third reason people often don't connect within the local church is because of bad theology. Bad theology or or a lack of understanding. You've heard it said, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, for me, I would say, well, show me. Tell me what you mean. What do you mean by going to church? Do you mean going to a building? Do you mean going to Sundays? And so oftentimes people will say that again because they've been hurt. 
But oftentimes, just because they misunderstand the church or misunderstand what Jesus demands of them. We all want easiness. We want things to be simple. But living as part of the church takes effort. Can you say effort? And so saying, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian is a wrong understanding of the church and of being a Christian. See, Jesus has made the church, and that's equal with being a Christian, and you are to gather as a church and stir one another up toward love and good works, gathering together, living life in community. Sometimes people, the bad theology they have is a a consumeristic view of the church. Sometimes they think, well, what can the church do for me? And rarely, if ever, think about what I can do to serve my brothers and sisters and worship my God. And so they don't want to be a part of the church because they're like, well, it's not doing anything for me. It's, it's not doing anything. It doesn't, it's not good at this or it's not good at that. And it's also ultimately a consumer-driven mindset that's saying, I want, but I'm not willing to give. And what we're saying, as part of the church, we look to one another, we don't think about ourselves, and we serve Jesus first and serve one another and serve our community. Bad theology will put, put you away from the church. A fourth reason people often don't connect with the church is they take God for granted. They think, well, he'll just forgive me. You know, you know um, God hasn't been good to me, so I'm not going to be there. And it's a misunderstanding of how great God has been to you, how much he loves you, and how much he's calling you on to live life in obedience to him. The fifth and final reason I think people often disconnect from the church is just misplaced priorities. There's a lack of desire, or there's a, I want my me time. Jesus laid his very life down to redeem you. And what he calls you to do is lay yours down to live for him. And so what's hard about Christianity is not so much hard to believe what it teaches, but it's hard for people to surrender their own agendas. We, by our, in our own desires, so badly want to take credit for the things we accomplish. We, we want to be self-focused. We want what's good for just me and not think about others. And Christianity, the, the, the truth of the Bible says that we need to surrender ourselves and embrace Jesus. We need to die in order to live. So which of those five do you find your heart going to? Is it personal offense? Is it personal sin? Is it bad theology? Is it taking God for granted? Or is it misplaced priorities? Because what I want to do right now is to stir you up to love and good deeds and to not forsake meeting together. Whether it be Sunday mornings, whether it be on Wednesdays or Thursdays in our real communities, whether it be opening your home to your brothers and sisters, let's stir one another up to live life as the church. Jesus saved us from sin to make us part of his family, and being part of his family takes effort. Let's put God's love on display. Let's give God glory in all that we do. And let's live life in community together, family. I said when we started, Jesus didn't die to purchase a building. He died to purchase a people. We are the church, Brooke family. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you are the church. So let's live like it. Let's live like it for God's glory and to make him known in our community. In a moment here, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus has made this possible for us. He went to the cross. His body was broken. His nails were 
His hands were nail-pierced, crown of thorn on his head, whipped and beaten and scourged, his body bleeding. And the greatest pain he suffered were none of those, but when the wrath of the Father was poured on him. And Jesus gladly went to the cross for you and for me. And what he tells us, he told his disciples the night before this happened, he told, he told them, he says, I want you to take bread. I want you to take this cup. And I want you to eat and drink regularly so you don't forget what I've done for you. And Hebrews tells us, let's do that. Let's remember what Jesus has done. Let's remember his sacrifice because that's what drives us to live for him. I'm going to ask our ushers, yes, come forward and begin to pass out both the bread and the cup. We're going to do a little different today. Usually we have you guys come forward, but we're going to have um, these, these plates passed out in the rows here. And as the plate is passed to you, I ask uh, one thing. If you are, have not surrendered your life to Jesus, if you don't believe his body was broken for you and his blood was spilled for you, um, we ask that you would not take the bread and the cup, that you wouldn't participate in this way because Jesus says this is for those who are part of my family, those who believe I've died for them. But if that is your confession today, if you say, you know, I believe that his body was broken for me, that his blood was spilled for me, I put my faith in him, I've turned from my sin, I'm trusting in Jesus, let's hold and take it and let's hold on to it and we'll eat and drink together. So just hold it in your hand and it's being passed out, just in your heart, pray, pray to God, thank him for Jesus, confess your sins to him, thank him that you're forgiven and let's just meditate on the death of Jesus and his resurrection, which gives us hope. And in a few moments, we'll come back together and we'll eat and drink together.